Welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice. There's no acceptable alternative if you want a plan to live well and on your terms. Complete financial advice equals complete peace of mind. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello, and welcome to Retire Right with Larry Heller from Heller Wealth Management. Today, the topic is moving, right? Well, what you must know about changing your state residence, I'm assuming you're moving with it, with all your stuff. And today, Larry has brought in a special guest, and that is Karen Tannenbaum. And she is the founder and managing partner of Tannenbaum Law PC, a tax law firm in Melville, New York, which focuses its practice on the resolution of IRS and New York state tax controversies. She is a CPA as well as a tax attorney and has more than 35 years of experience. And she has a new ebook out. Good afternoon, you two. How are you? Doing great, Eric. Thanks. And thank you for, for having me, Larry. Oh, you're more than welcome. Yeah, Larry, you, you brought her in today. I, obviously, she is a wealth of information, over 35 years experience. What are you talking about today with her? Well, you know, what's happening is in 2018 with the new tax law, you know, some of the high tax states such as New York, um, it's kind of gotten penalized. So we're starting to hear people wanting to move to, you know, tax-free states such as Florida. So I thought it would be great to have a conversation with Karen and talk about this and talk about the minefields out there. I mean, because one of the most misunderstood terms in state tax law is residency. Mm -hmm. residency. So where you reside has a significant impact on the amount of state taxes you owe, so much so that, that we're seeing people, like I just said, deliberately choose to move based upon the taxes they pay. However, your residency for tax purposes may not be what you think you think they are because the rules can be complex and ambiguous. So this is especially true if you have more than one, you know, one home, especially if you're a snowbird and, and you have a, a place in Florida and in New York. Uh, in New York, the tax department is aggressively pursuing residency audits and collecting substantial revenues from people who fail to change their residency properly. Hmm. So today we're going to be talking with Karen, Karen Tenenbaum about how the residency rules work, what to expect if you do get audited, and options to resolve your tax matter. So Karen, let's get right into this. Uh, what is a residency audit? So I'm glad you asked. So I start every live presentation with raise your hand if you think you know where you live. And everybody in the audience raises their hand. And then I end the, the, the presentation an hour later, a half hour later, with the exact same question. And half the time, they don't know where they live anymore because the rules are so ambiguous. And so, and New York State is so aggressive. I'll give you some statistics. New York State does approximately 3,000 residency audits a year, and they collect approximately $225 million a year on this type of audit program alone. So there's a good chance that you'll get audited if you're a high earner and you're moving out of New York claiming that you've changed your domicile, but you still indicate on your return that you maintain some kind of living quarters in New York. Or let's say you own a home in New York and another state and you travel often between the two. So we see this when New Yorkers either want to retire uh, or they claim they're snowbirds or they live in New Jersey or Connecticut, work in New York City and maybe have a house in the Hamptons. We call this the hidden cost of an apartment in New York. Uh, New York City has the same rules as New York State. This often happens also right before a big sale of a, of a business, a closely held business. A lot of people, again, just want a place in the city. So you could live on Long Island and have an apartment in the city. 
And, and if you're traveling there often, you're going to have a burden of proof that's pretty hard to overcome. There are ma- major life events that make you want to change your domicile. And what you're going to see as we go through this is that uh, it's pretty significant uh, stakes. That, uh, th- there are pretty significant stakes because they ta- New York wants to tax you on all of your income, no matter where it's derived. The taxpayer is trying to show that they've changed their domicile by often they have the burden of proof by clear and convincing evidence, which is a pretty tough burden to have. And it's a subjective intent. But New York State is using objective factors, as you're going to see. So it's pretty tough. So let's start at the beginning there. So how then is your residency determined? Right. So New York State will tax you as a resident, which is, again, on all of your income, no matter where it is earned, if you're domiciled here or if you're a statutory resident. And so what does that mean? We're going to go through some of the factors. Again, the taxpayer often has the burden of proof by clear and convincing evidence for a change of domicile. And once that is changed, meaning you've you've won the domicile case, that's one thing that happens once in a lifetime unless you're moving back. But something like statutory residency which is that you have a permanent place of abode in New York and spend more than 183 days here, that comes up every single year. So what often people say, my mother my mother plays mahjong regularly with snowbirds, and uh, they'll say, oh, I, I was six months in a day in Florida. Uh, you know, do I have to file anything in New York? And it's much more complicated than you would think. It's not just the day count. Most people walk around with that misnomer that it's just the day count. And we have this free residency ebook that you could download on my website, litaxattorney.com, which lays out the basic rules. And so let's go over some of those basic rules. So what does it mean to, to have a domicile, to change your domicile? First of all, if you were always in New York and you're moving out, you, have the ta- you, the taxpayer, have the burden of proof. If you were always somewhere else and you're moving in, then the state would have the burden of proof. And it's by clear and convincing evidence, which is a pretty tough burden to have. They look at five main factors your house, your business, time, items near and dear, and family connections. And so what does that mean? They compare your home, but what happens if you're downsizing? What happens if you're retiring to Florida and moving to a small place? You have to explain it. It's a balancing act. You're balancing, for example, New York versus Florida. Your business involvement, are you actively involved on a day-to-day level? So what happens if you transitioned out of your business, you left your closely held business in the hands of your son or your daughter, and they're running it, but perhaps they're calling you on a regular basis in Florida or wherever you've retired to ask for your permission uh, to renew the lease or to enter into a big contract. And it's those kinds of things, if you're actively involved, prove that you really haven't left New York. Even if you no longer, even if you no longer have any ownership in the business? Exactly. It's not just where you're getting, it's not just the money you're getting from, from the business, but are you involved? New York is looking at these five factors to determine how active are you. They also look at the time factor. Now, this is not the 183-day rule. Most people think it is, but really they're looking for a change of pattern. So if you always spent uh, your entire year in New York and now you're spending a lot less in, uh, in New York and somewhere else, that's great. But what happens if, because you're wealthy, this often hits wealthy individuals, high net worth individuals. What happens if uh, you decide you like to cruise? So you spend six months in New York, off in May to October, and now you're not spending the whole other six months in Florida. You're spending some of it on uh, a trip to Europe. Well, New York is going to balance between New York and where you claim you're domiciled, and they're going to ignore the time you're traveling. So 
here you've retired and yet it's going to hurt you. So that's one of the factors that's going to hurt. So you. if so, if you don't spend six months in New in New York and you spend it, like you said, in different places, New York's going to look for you to pay partial. So again, New York, New York is very aggressive, and they're going to they start with the assumption that you have not left and that you owe tax on one hundred percent on your income, no matter where you earned it. Okay, so they start with that assumption, and you have the burden to show that it's different that you had an intent to leave and that you've actually left. You have to leave and land somewhere else. Yeah, but let, let, let's say if they have the intent. Client has a place here in, in, in New York. They decide to buy an additional place in Florida. They go to Florida and they, they're not in New York for more than six months, but their children are in California or in Maryland and they spend a month in each one of those places. So they're only in Florida for four months. What is New York going to say? Well, first, New York is going to say, did you ever really leave New York? And they're going to look at your pattern. What has your pattern been? Did you buy that place in Florida 25 years ago and every year went a little bit longer to, to that place in Florida? That's called a creeping change. And there's a recent case, Campanello, that shows that a creeping change hurts you. They really want to see a major incident in your life that changed your pattern. So you retired, you got divorced. For some reason, you've now moved. So again, it's a subjective intent. And you're allowed to move for tax reasons. You could say, I knew I was about to get a $9 million stock option two months from now. And so I decided to move now, but you have to prove it. They also look at your items near and dear. What are you claiming uh, are your hobbies? Have you moved all of those items to your new location? Where have you put the photo albums? They also look at where the minor children reside. Where do they go to school? And most most of the time, there are a few cases that where you'll see an exception, but most of the time, wherever those minor children are going to school, that's where you're probably domiciled. So I now, let's go back to the example. I now yeah. retire. I, am, I move to Florida. I keep my New York place. I then register in Florida. I do my Florida homestead. I get a Florida driver's license. I do those those type things, am I still have some other things that could trip me up? Okay, so those are called other factors, and there are also some non-factors. And New York State uh, has them in their uh, residen- non-residency guidelines, residency guidelines that came out a number of years ago, and there's a list of them. You know, people used to claim, say, oh, I have a burial plot in New York. Is that going to hurt me? That's now a non-factor. But other factors- well, when you're there <laughs> afterwards, I don't think you really matter. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, right. Well, here's what matters, actually. So we are talking about domicile and statutory residency for income tax purposes. For estate tax purposes, the only thing that matters is where you're domiciled. So the the permanent place of abode in 183-day rule is not relevant for where which uh, state is going to tax you for your estate, or at least for New York. But so let's go back to the other factors. So did you register your car there? Did you register to vote? Those kinds of things are looked at, but you have con- the taxpayer has control over them. So it goes both ways. If you don't do them, New York State says you had control. Why didn't you do them? And if you do do them, they're like, no big deal. You know, you had control over it. So again, it, it, it requires you to come forward and, and make your case, which is often why you need a, a good representative. Again, going back to the stats, they do 3,000 of these a year. They make $225 million a year. And I would say that a very high percentage of the cases are uh, either settled or in, in some effect, you know, you owe some money. So I, I, I just, I just want to be, you know, cl- clear then. So if I move to Florida, I change all my, my license that we're talking about, we, my vote down there. 
but I, you know, I decided to travel, you know, travel the world. Is New York going to, you know, I have no more business, that I've, you know, other than having a place in New York, which I clearly spend less than six months and I document that, but I'm not spending six months in Florida. Will I, you know, is that going to be a concern? Right. So are you going to, there's a risk of audit, obviously. There's a risk of audit and you have to come forward and, and maybe have a, a pay representation, uh, representation fees and it may cost you some money in the end. Who knows? Everyone thinks they have a winning case until it comes down to the documentation. So let's get into even the statutory residency issues, which is you have a permanent place of abode here in New York. For for example, you kept your home, your historical home, because it's cheaper than going to a hotel on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps you don't get along with your family and you don't want to live with them for the whole summer or whatever it is. So you have a permanent place of abode here on Long Island or in New York, and you spend more than 183 days in New York, then you're going to be taxed as a resident. And what they do is one of the uh, things that they look at, there's a box on the non-resident return. Let's say you file a non-resident return. There's a box. Do you maintain living quarters in New York? The second you check it and you're a high net worth individual, you have a high percentage, a, a high chance of them auditing you. I mean, it's just easy for them. You've given them the path. Okay. So, so if I move to Florida, but I have an apartment for my child in New York, well, you know, could I also be considered a New York resident? So isn't that interesting? Because there are many cases that come up about relatives. And what I always say is, you know, it, many 30-year-old children or 25-year-old children can't afford perhaps their own place. So the, the parents step in and they either sign the lease or they're the financial backer or they buy the place and don't laugh. New York State comes in sometimes and says, you really live here. So if it's a studio, obviously no issue. If it's a one bedroom, probably not an issue. If it's a two bedroom, they want to know, are you living there? And you have to come forward with evidence. And I've represented a number of uh, professors that lived in New Jersey, uh, worked for, let's say, NYU or a place in New York, and, the, and their daughters lived in New York full time. And it was clearly the daughter's apartment. And I'd have to bring them in as a witness uh, to give uh, credible testimony at different levels in order to prove that they have nothing to do with this apartment. Hmm. Sometimes you actually take the auditor, you take pictures of the apartment to prove they're not there. They're, there's nothing hanging in that closet. They don't have unfettered use and access. That's really what it comes down to. Do they have unfettered use and access? And there's a, a famous case, the Gayed case, where the guy lived in New Jersey. No one questioned that. He had a business in New York on Staten Island. He owned gas stations and he had a three family house around the corner for his parents. And he didn't have things hanging in the closet. He didn't have his toothbrush there. His parents were elderly. And once in a while, they would say, honey, we don't feel good. Could you sleep on the couch? And New York State came in and said, that's a permanent place of abode. You're clearly at your business more than 183 days a year. And we would like to tax you as a, as a resident. And uh, it went all the way up to uh, the highest court in New York. And they said, look, you really need a residential interest in this property. It can't just be your parents' place. It has to be a place that you're using as your home. And so- that's always an issue. I don't know that New York State agrees, even though that's the law, and they certainly don't act like they agree. And so you have to be careful what you do. Interesting. So, Karen, tell us, how, how are the days counted for with this so-called 183-day requirement? So a day is one second in New York. So what happens if you live in New Jersey or Connecticut and your closest place to go food shopping or drive the babysitter home is across the border in New York? Guess what? That's a day in New York. You could spend a half hour at the 7-Eleven in New York or at the, the, any supermarket and, and come back to your home, and that's counted as a full day. There's no partial days. Somebody once challenged it and said, let's prorate the days, and they said, no. Five seconds is enough. I mean, they're trying to be, you're trying to be reasonable, and they're very aggressive. 
Is I actually heard that, you know, that New York State could actually request your phone records? So they subpoena your phone records these days. And actually, that's quite interesting because that's the newest issue. So I'm going to be speaking at the NYU Tax Controversy Forum next week, actually. And we have a great panel uh, of people from New York State and practitioners. And one of the issues that has come up is how reliable are these cell phone records? So I did a little research and I spoke to a guy uh, who's a consultant for criminal matters. He's uh, consulted on over 100 criminal matters. He's been an expert witness. And he said that they changed the law, the FTC changed the law in 1990, that 911 calls are only good if you have a GPS system or it pings off of three towers. These cell phone records that they're getting ping off of one tower. And it's not necessarily the closest tower. It could be There are a number of factors that are looked at. They're looking for the fastest. Sometimes it's because of the weather or uh, the congestion in the area. And so it might ping off something that's not properly indicating where you are. And also each different company, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, whatever, have different systems and they give different information. And it's not necessarily reliable. And this consultant specifically said, in criminal cases, in many, many criminal cases, it's not even allowed in because it's not reliable. Hmm. So let, let's kind of... But, but, but let's actually back up. But sure. New York State totally relies on it. They, now, there are many apps that could help you that are relying on GPS systems. So there's TaxDay as an app. There's Moneo. There's TaxBird. And there's a number of GPS systems. So GPS is more reliable, but they're looking at the cell phone records, which, again, are not, not as reliable. Okay. So let's let, let's jump ahead now. Now you, you've you've tried to protect yourself, and you filed as a non-resident, and New York State calls you for you know for an audit. How can you protect yourself and defend yourself in an audit? Right. So you really want to keep good co- documentation. I mean, they ask you for everything. They want credit card bills, Easy Pass records, swipe cards, phone records, landline records, every kind of calendar imaginable, whether it's digital or the best is kept contemporaneously. So you have to come forward and prove, again, you have the burden by clearing convincing evidence that you were not here 183 days. You have to prove where you were every single day. So what happens if you're gardening in the backyard in Florida and there's nothing on your calendar? They, they look at that as a New York day. So it's easy if it's New York, Florida. Clearly, you didn't get on a plane. If you were there on Saturday and you're there on Monday, and you have a credit card charge. Sunday, you didn't get on a plane. You were probably in the backyard gardening. But what happens if it's a New York uh, state, New York City case? So you live in the Hamptons. And you come into the city on a Sunday night for work, for whatever, for the week. Yes, someone could look at your easy pass records. But did you, let's say you're on the phone on a landline in the Hamptons. And that's all that they see. There's no credit card bills showing where you were. Did you drive in? You know, there's no exception for going to a show or or dining out or shopping in New York City. So what happens if you went into the city and spent cash? You have to prove where you are. And it's very hard to do. Again, if it's a local kind of thing, if you were in New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, or Long Island. So so someone now files, and all of a sudden they get a letter in the mail saying you now owe X amount of dollars um, because we're considering you a state resident versus a non-resident. What should they do? Well, okay, first of all, you can uh, appeal. There are different levels of appeal. So if you've done it, the, the best part is, the best thing to do would be to settle at the audit level. Have a conference with the auditor and the supervisors, the team leaders, et cetera, the managers, uh, the district managers, if possible, and see if you could settle the matter. Often they add interest and and penalties to the amounts of the liability. So you really want to settle as soon as possible, as early as possible. But you always have 90 days to go to what they call BCMS hearing, 
uh, to, to uh, apply for that. It's a Bureau of Conciliation and Mediation Services. And after that, you have 90 days to go to an ALJ hearing. And after that, you have 30 days to go for tribunal review. And then, of course, you could litigate. Those are administrative. But it would be helpful if you got a representative to come in who knows the rules. Everyone thinks they know the rules. And often what we see is these taxpayers who go in to defend themselves. They, they start this, this order usually with a questionnaire. And when you fill out that questionnaire, probably you've given wrong answers already. Yeah, so so it'd be better off not to fill it out yourself. But what? But most people are not even thinking that there is another tax attorney specialist out there. They're just going to rely on their their account, right? So most people say, "Oh my God, I don't think I really live in New York. I moved five years ago to Florida." Again, a creeping change could, could hurt you. The fact that you did it slowly over time doesn't show a clear change in pattern of of your lifestyle, and so. Everyone says, oh, I'm totally clearly Florida. But guess what? They're not totally clearly Florida. So they need to hire a tax attorney? No, they don't have to. They, they could certainly have their own accountant handle it. Uh, they could handle it themselves. But this is what we do for a living. We handle IRS and New York State tax problems. And that's all we do morning, noon and night for the last 35 years. And so we know the rules. We know the people. We have relationships. And, you know, we're able to get pretty good results. I, I have to say that we get pretty good results. And what happens if you you don't pay you don't pay or you can't afford to pay? Yes, a New York State could take away your driver's license if you owe ten thousand dollars or more. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. That's crazy. And so most people say, "Ah, oh, I, I have I'll, I'll get a Florida license." But guess what? They have a compact. I think uh, all states except five are part of this, and they exchange information. So you couldn't get a, a driver's license somewhere else. And so you have to come forward with some kind of resolution. You want an installment agreement? You want an offering compromise? Well, let's say, you know what, they didn't even start the audit yet, but your neighbor or your company got audited and you think you're next. You could do a voluntary disclosure. You could come forward to New York State and say, guess what, guys, I did something wrong in the past and I want to voluntarily come, fo- voluntarily come forward and I want to pay. And guess what? You don't have penalties and there's no criminal referral. And they usually do a three to uh, six year look back. So are you seeing more and more of these audits? Going? Well, because of the tax law change on the federal level, I don't know if it's anecdotal, you know, conjecture that people are saying, oh, I only have a $10,000 state and lo- local tax deduction. I'm moving. I'm moving to someplace else. The truth is, if you are a high net worth individual, are you changing your lifestyle for that? I don't know. It's certainly a calculation that you could do and see if the dollars matter. But uh, what we see is that historically, I mean, again, I'm doing this so many years, people are moving anyway. People have been moving anyway. Are they moving more now? They talk about it more. I don't know if they're actually moving more. Well, I can tell you right now, we, we, we have clients that are moving, not solely for the taxes, but they're definitely moving their time frame up because of that reason where they said, oh, you know what, I'll stay in New York for a couple of years. And now they're, they're deciding to move to Florida, but that now they're also concerned about the residencies. So if they're worried about that, that, I, that they haven't, may not have changed their residency correctly, what should they do? Again, we do planning. So you could contact me at 631-465-5000. You could always email me at ktenenbaum at litaxattorney. That's K-T-E-N-E-N-B-A-U-M at litaxattorney.com. You can look at our website. We have very interesting articles. We talk about all the different cases. Uh, again, you can download that free ebook that gives you the, the big rules. And you could always uh, come in for a consultation and we'll help you plan. Oh, that's great. 
Thank you, Karen, so much. This has been uh, very helpful to our listeners out there. And if you are, you know, changing residency or you're concerned about this, like Karen said, you can reach out at the number she gave you. You can also check out our, check her out on her website, litaxattorney.com. Thanks again, Karen. Thank you, Larry, for having me. Karen, thank you so much. It, uh, who thought that New York would be so aggressive? I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Do you know where you live? Now raise your hand if you know where you live. It's so, it's so complicated. I'm telling you, they're going to come after you. That's that's uh, that's a little scary sometimes. So, wow. Thanks for all the great information. Thank you for giving out your contact info. That's fantastic. Larry, thanks for bringing her in. Uh, no, thanks for coming in, Karen. This has been great. All right. And thank you all for listening to the Retire Right podcast with Larry Heller. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Larry comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And again, if you've got friends or family that are snowbirds or they're traveling quite a bit, they need to hear this. So please share this one with them. Again, thanks for being here today. For everyone at Heller Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time.